and welcome to episode 57 of the Cinefessions podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Brandon Chowan. And joining me today, we have Ash Collins. Ash, how are things this afternoon? They're great. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. So unfortunately, Mark is not joining us tonight. He is uh, vacationing to the other side of Canada. At least that's what my geographically ignorant mind but sees it. I don't really know exactly where it is, but I think it's on the other side of Canada. Uh, he's visiting friends and family. So he won't be with us tonight, but have no fear. He will be back again with us next week when we start uh, the two-episode arc of Stranger Things on Netflix. So again, just as a reminder, today Ash and I are going to discuss the uh, Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane movies. And then next week, the three of us are going to review episodes one to four of The Stranger Things on Netflix. Then the following week, we are going to review episodes five through eight, wrapping up season one of that Netflix original series. So that's what we have going on for the next few episodes on the uh, podcast here. We're about 99% certain what our next big arc is going to be, but we're going to wait a couple episodes to like officially announce that one. Um, but trust me, you guys are, I hope at least, going to be as excited about it as we are. So with that said, we are actually still waiting on our first non-family caller to 1-302-448-TALK. So again, that's 1-302-448-8255. So as a reminder, the first caller that leaves us a voicemail from the States has a, with a comment, a question, a, something correcting us on something, uh, any, anything really, you're going to receive a Cinefessions care package filled with some random horror, sci-fi and or cult DVDs or Blu-rays. And also, if you are a Canadian listener, Mark is actually going to hook you up with a copy of Avatar if our first caller happens to be from north of the border. So make sure you are giving that number a call and letting us know how, you liking, how you're liking the podcast, what you think about our upcoming arc. Um, any thoughts on Saw series would be appreciated. Any, any uh, options for questions of the week, anything like that, we would love to hear from you. So let's dive right in. Ash. The the question of the week this week. This is, is the question on everybody's mind. Do you Pokemon Go? Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> Excellent. So I think uh, I remember reading something. You and you were driving w around with your wife and, and, and playing it, right? Yeah. Excellent. How are you liking it? Um, I think once they get things ironed out, I don't think they were expecting the response that they've gotten. I think once they get their server side stuff ironed out and they get the game working a little bit better on all the platforms so they don't it doesn't error out when it loses brief connection. I think yeah. it'll be better. Um, OK, even even now, though, it's still a lot of fun. Like we've met like there's so many people playing it in my city, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't think there would be this many and yeah. they're everywhere we go. Like every time we go out to drive, we can see people with their face and their phones and, and it's not like they're, and it's not like they're texting or anything. You can mm -hmm. tell they're, they, they have the look that they're, you know, looking for Pokemon. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I have not downloaded it yet, uh, but my wife has been playing it actually. And she's not a gamer by any stretch and not even a, really a Pokemon fan. Apparently she used to watch it, the show back when, but She's been playing playing it quite a bit, and she actually got my aunt. So we went over to my uh, my aunt and uncle's house on Saturday night to play some cornhole or, or bagum, whatever the hell you want to call it. And uh, we watched the UFC fight also. But anyway, she was playing it there and got my not not my aunt, but my uncle's girlfriend. Uh, she got her playing it, and uh, my cousin put on a 
uh, Facebook message yesterday that was saying that his mom was playing it, which is who I'm talking about. So even got her into it and she's, you know, in her 40s or 50s, whatever the case is, and not a gamer by any stretch and never was interested in Pokemon. So it really is touching on so many different demographics, which blows my mind. But do you think, uh, do, is it a fad? Like, how do you think it's going to die out in the next month, the next couple of weeks? Or do you think it's going to have some staying power? I think it'll have some staying power, mainly because you can play this and not spend a cent. Like, like that's what it, I was wondering. What are the microtransactions? Um, there has to be some. There, there, there are, but it's all stuff. Most of it, like ninety nine percent of what is in there, is stuff that you can get just by walking around. And as long as you like go out to like their what they call Pokestops and stop, yeah. you know, and stop at those frequently because they give you free stuff when you stop there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they give you free balls or free, you know, um, fruit or, you know, the, uh, or, um, lures and, and stuff like that. They give you the free stuff going out and around. And as long as you're out capturing stuff and going to the Pokestops, you're always going to have like, uh, you know, you're always going to have balls and stuff. The, the ones that they'll make money on is the storage because they have the only way right now that you can up how many actual Pokemon you can hold and how many, uh, items you can hold is by buying them in a store. And oh, those okay. are really, yeah, those are really the only things that are worth buying. So, hmm. yeah, that's what I was, I figured some, like Bridget was the history. She's like, oh man, he only got eight Pokeballs left. And that's when I was like, oh, yep, here it is. This is where the microtransactions come in. But then she was like, no, like I just have to go to a Pokestop, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, so okay. I was, that's what I was wondering. So now yeah. that you verified it, I know she's not uh, crazy. So <laughs> yeah, and the only other the only other thing you might consider buying are lures. Um, and uh, even oh. then, even then, you don't necessarily have to buy them because there's so many people playing it. As long as you go out, like the what they can do with the you can take a lure and drop it at a Pokestop, and it'll attract Pokemon. Um, yeah, she had one of those. Yeah, so if you're at like our park, um, has like a couple Pokestops that overlap. Uh, if mm. you have uh, a lure running on both of them, it just attracts Pokemon like crazy. You just have to sit in between oh, the two okay. lures uh, and, mm. and they just come to you. Uh, and there was like 20 to 40 different people there at our park the other day when we were stopping oh. by. And <laughs> like the lure was off, I think, for a minute and a half. And then someone popped another one on. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it, you don't even have to technically buy them because other people are buying them. Right. And so. Um, but no, yeah. And like our, fa- our town's Facebook group is growing exponentially. I think it started with like 20 people the first day and it's up to what now? <laughs> it's up to like 70 now and it's only been a couple oh, wow. days. That's funny. So like, here's my, qu- obviously there is a set number of Pokemon to catch, correct? Right to now. Yeah. Unquote, catch them all. Okay. So yeah, right. I think it's can- the first original 150, I think. Oh, okay. Interesting. So can you catch all of them in a certain mile radius or do you have to like go around the country potentially to find all these? I think we don't necessarily know. Um, okay. But some are a lot more rare than others. Like, yeah, we're, we're kind of in a good spread around. Um, I know one of the front, one of our friends that lives in Florida has uh, a different array of Pokemon, but there is some overlap from what we've got. Okay. Yeah. It, it really matters is urban, rural and suburban. Um, like when gotcha. we were down in, we went down to Columbus and there were, more types 
of Pokemon down there that we ran into, but it, we mm-hmm. kept running into like the same common ones over and over again. Like, oh, okay. Like my wife and I don't have to catch another Rattata. We, uh, worm, Weedle? Yeah, Weedles, Rattatas, and uh, Pidgeys. We're done with those. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, we like evolved ours and we've got enough candy left to like evolve them or keep leveling them until the, the end of time. So <laughs> we haven't even, we just quit catching them. So that's funny. Uh, yeah. But like, uh, wow. like our area, you actually have to like, like our house, like there's none around our house at all. Like I caught oh, okay. my, I caught my starter one at my house and then there hasn't mm-hmm. been anything uh, around my area like we actually have to go down like a block and a half to 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 find an active spot so like how is it killing is it killing your battery i've heard some people yeah. complaining that it drains it okay well, that's it, what I it, it kills my battery i'm running on a uh, sony xperia uh okay on droid and it just my, i can go off cord if i start with a full battery i can go off cord maybe an hour and a half if i'm lucky oh, wow. maybe two hours um but my wife's on the iPhone SE and she was off cord for, you know, like an hour and a half and she was only down like 25%. So I think it just depends on the phone and, and the age. Like my my phone's like a year old and hers is brand new too. So Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure mine would probably drain my battery. I, I think, I'm not sure what Bridget, how Bridget's is acting. I know her battery's been acting up recently though, like starting to just drain a lot quicker. So I'm sure it's probably you know, draining it, but that's why I figured it's probably more uh, about the phone than anything. But right, yeah, I'll have to download it. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll download it this weekend and and see what it's all about. But yeah, it is fun. That's cool. Yeah, we've talked to people that we've never we would never have talked to before. Like the dude that runs our our Facebook group. Yeah, never would have, never would have talked to him on the street in a million years. <laughs> yeah, or the guys we ran into at the park, or the skateboard boys that were there at the park or anything like that you know it was just you know people we would never have talked to before so right and and it was just it was interesting because it's like you know hey you're doing the pokemon thing yeah and (laughs) talk back and forth so it's i i think it's hitting on something that a lot of games have tried to replicate online and just haven't Mm -hmm. been able to do very cool i'm interested to see what the first knockoff is going to be the first (laughs) imitator will be well, technically, this one's actually a knockoff of another game anyway. They're, it's the same company made a different game. Uh, oh. I can't remember the name of it, but it basically is the it's a similar premise. Like you have the hot spots and you have to go around and they have bases and stuff like that. And you're, okay. you collect okay. items and stuff like that. But it was it's basically using the same technology. They just applied it to Pokemon. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Interesting. Very good. So aside from Pokemon Go, what else have you been, do- have you been doing this week in uh, the world of media? Actually, I watched all of Slasher. Uh, Slasher oh, season okay. One and I definitely recommend it if you like Slasher movies. It is awesome. everything that the Scream TV series should have been. And yeah, I know, I, I know, yeah, I know. Chris wasn't thrilled about the ending. He thought the ending kind of mm-hmm. fell apart. I liked the ending, so I don't know. You know, cool. I definitely need to check that one out. It actually just, uh, I know it's on Netflix, so I'm sure that's where I'm going to watch it, but I know it just um, came out from Scream Factory. Uh, this either comes out next week or came out this week. I can't remember which, but uh, definitely something I want to check out just because uh, given given the, the title and the genre, I'm sure it's something I'm going to enjoy. So, Yeah. How many episodes was it? Do you remember? Uh, eight. Okay. Oh, so it's a short one. Yeah. I, they're an hour long each, but yeah. 
And, so. and it's neat, too, because unlike Scream, they actually wrote all eight episodes before they even started filming. And then they actually filmed it like it's a big, long motion picture. Uh, oh, okay. so they actually filmed stuff out of order based on when they had the actors to do stuff. Gotcha. Uh, so, you know, they, so it's, I think it's far more cohesive than the screen mm-hmm. ever was. Uh, and, and they do some neat stuff with it. So. Very good. Out of curiosity, have you been watching any of scream season two? No. Yeah, me either. I, um, I know Chris is and making fun of it. Um, oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. I, I just, no, not. Yeah, I can't I think bring myself to do it. I think if it, when yeah. it pops up on Netflix, I might. Mm-hmm. But right now, no, it just yeah. it hurts my brain. Right. I think it's on my DVR because I know I said a recording for it, but uh, I have not watched a single episode of it yet. So I was just curious. But excellent. So what else this week? Anything? Um, other than Pokemon Go and that, uh, not really. Yeah. Busy week for you. Um. <laughs> a little swimming, though. You did that. Yeah, that we did. So there was a lot of swimming, a lot of work. Hell yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about uh, some purchases I did at first here. Um, so if you don't know, Barnes & Noble is having the um, 50% off Criterion Collection sale. And I think we talked about this last week off before we started recording, and I wished that we had talked about it during the, the recording. But I, the first real, I don't know what you want to call it, boutique kind of uh, special, uh, not special, but I, I don't know, spe- specialist company uh, publisher that I started collecting, like Criterion Collection. Like right now I'm big on Scream Factory, for example, like that type of uh, boutique publisher was was definitely the Criterion Collection. That was probably the first. And um, when I first started collecting Blu-rays back in, what was it? Probably 2009, 2010. Um, and so I bought a ton of Criterion Collection uh, releases on Blu-ray. And I still have a very good, um, uh, a very large amount. I've gotten rid of very few of them over the years. So I have a very good collection still. But I decided that while a lot of these films are important, and they are films I want. I'm going to buy less of them because they're just, they're not the type of movie that I enjoy watching the most, generally speaking. And so I basically stick to, when it comes to Criterion anymore, I stick to the horror and sci-fi titles and any kind of cult releases that they have. And then anything that I um, have seen in the past that I really love. And so I usually go nuts during these Criterion sales, but actually the past couple years I haven't. And so I ended up buying a few um, this time around. Um, last week I picked up uh, Mulholland Drive, which I have actually not seen, but I it's you know it's a horror slash thriller that I've always wanted to see and I've heard excellent things about. So I picked that one up. Uh, have you seen Mulholland Drive? Uh, no. Okay. I'm just curious. It's it's one I definitely need to you know move toward the top of my list because I had to watch it. Um, but the other one I picked up was The Graduate, which is, I mean, uh, frankly, one of my top, probably top 10 films ever. It is an absolute masterpiece. And uh, so I had to grab that one on Blu-ray and it has a lot of great special features on it. So I picked those up for about uh, $17 each when they're normally 40 bucks. And then I remembered, oh, you idiot, you have 20% off coupons from Barnes & Noble. So I went back today and I grabbed uh, Dress to Kill and uh, The Brood. And so both kind of – The Brood, definitely a horror film. Uh, Dressed to Kill, kind of a thriller. And uh, 
the brood from Cronenberg and Dress to Kill from what Lynch? Um, no, um, De Palma. <laughs> oh, okay, De Palma. Yeah, De Palma. Yeah, Brian De Palma. But um, yeah, so I picked up those four, and I actually got both of those for like fifteen dollars each because I had the fifty percent off, and then I had ten percent off for my membership, and then another twenty percent off for. Uh, the coupons I had. So I ended up only paying after taxes, like fifteen twenty five each. So could not pass that up. Very happy to own all four of those. And again, they, they fit into the, the type of Criterion Collection film that I will only buy going forward. You know, I, I'm not buying everything anymore. And so I was uh, excited as hell to get those. And yeah, I need to, now I need to sit down and, and rewatch some of them and, and watch the rest. So moving over to Scream Factory side of things. I went through my collection recently and it turned out I only needed nine more collector editions from Scream Factory to have the entire lineup, which which I was pretty excited about because I've always wanted to have like a complete collection of something like that. And so the Scream Factory Collector's Edition is the best one for me to have just for my tastes. And so going through the nine of them, there was only one of them that I was afraid that I was going to have to spend a lot of money on because it was out of print. And that was uh, Life Force. Which I'm sure you've seen, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen okay. that a couple times. Yeah, um, I've only seen parts of it. I've never sat down and watched from the beginning to end, and so I'm, I'm excited to do that just because of uh, the fact that it is uh, a Toby Hooper film, and so I'm excited to finally sit down and just watch it from beginning to end. But anyway, I, I picked that one up. I ended up paying only about thirty bucks for it after shipping and taxes, which was awesome considering that it was. Uh, around $80. That's about the cheapest I could find it for on eBay was about 80. So I found it on Amazon. It was used, but I actually got it in just a few minutes before we started recording tonight. And it's in, it's an excellent condition. So I'm uh, very happy to have that one. And so now the other eight I need, which actually it might be up to nine now, because I think Return of the Living Dead come, came out this week or it comes out next Tuesday. I think it's actually the 19th. So I think it's next Tuesday. Um, but I got to pick that one up. I'm hoping Best Buy has it so I can just walk in and grab it. But, um, the other ones I need aren't going to be any problem to get. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, getting the, the money in the bank in order to pay for them. So I grabbed those. And then uh, Disc Replay, which is an awesome kind of used media store. They had a 50% off DVD sale. This was actually on the 4th of July. So I picked up uh, a few DVDs, which I don't normally buy anymore. But the the cost on these, I paid like a dollar and a quarter for each of these. Uh, some notables, I picked up the uh, Alien Terminator, which is from the Maria Ford collection. I picked up Amityville 4, um, Amityville Theater. I picked up the oh, uh, the Hitchhiker, which is one of the more original Asylum features. It's uh, before they really got into the mockbuster stage of their uh, of their career. And mm. so those horror films are generally really mean-spirited and just really brutal. And so I'm really excited to watch that one. Um, Ash, have you seen Stay Alive, that horror film? Uh, is that the Del Toro one or no? This it is. Um, it's like the oh, gamer gaming one. It's not. Who was it? I'm sorry. It's not Peter Jackson. No, no, I don't. I got it downstairs now. I don't think so. Hang on, I it's um, it the same director might... as uh, Devil's Do and another one. That I think I talked about recently in the podcast. Somebody did. Oh no, it's a. Di- I'm thinking of a different one. Oh okay. Yeah, this one, it's like basically the, the, the characters, it's a slasher, but the characters are playing a video game and then like yeah. they die in real life like they do in the game. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't too bad. 
Yeah, I like William Brent Bell. Oh, he did The Boy. That's what he did also. Uh, the Boy and The Devil Inside, which I like. I have not seen Devil Inside, but I love The Boy. Yeah. And uh, I like Stay Alive. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, Dev- I have uh, no- Devil Inside was pretty good. I've seen that one. Um, but yeah, so I had to pick that one up. I've seen it four or five times probably, but I like that one a lot. And here's one that I was really excited to find. Um, I've actually not seen it, but Ash, I would be shocked if you haven't seen it because I feel like this is right in your wheelhouse here. Wizard. I have seen Wizard. Yes. Yes. Is it? It's good, right? Like I've heard nothing but good things about it. Uh, it the you're talking about the Ralph Bakshi one, right? The animated film. Oh no no no! I'm sorry. Um, uh, was it's the like Nintendo like the guys playing Nintendo games? Uh, oh, that from the Wonder Years. One. Oh, eh, I've seen it before. It's okay. The Wizard, I guess it's called. It will be like going back into a time capsule. I'll give you okay. Yeah, it's like they they play in the ultimate video game championship. Like I thought, this got to be something I'll enjoy here. Yeah, I haven't Just watched really it in stupid. a long time. Um, okay, it's like it's basically like step back into 1989 Nintendo marketing mind, and you'll have yeah. exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. For the, again, I paid about a buck and a quarter for each of these, so like it's cheaper than renting them. So I was excited as hell to get all these, but yeah. I got some more, but those are some of the highlights. So that's that's what I ended up purchasing this past couple weeks here, I guess it's been. And I feel like I just – oh, I ended up picking up the Amazon Fire Stick in, during Prime Day yesterday. Um, just my uncle has been all about it. He has this program he puts on it and it's – I don't know. It's weird. But I ended up grabbing that. So um, I, And then on Monday night, uh, WWE Raw was here in Detroit. And uh, three of my buddies, including my uncle, went, and uh, it was a hell of a good time. There was uh, the the crowd was just on fire for most of the night, which was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, my uncle ended up going at the last minute because Bridget wasn't really feeling it, and so I was like, "Hey, you want to go with?" And uh, he's been a, a lifelong wrestling fan, so he was he was very happy to go. And we've been to a number of events together, but um, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. My, and my buddy, he ended up getting the. Uh, the like authentic WWE championship replica belt. I don't know if you've seen those, but it it was so badass. It's like a four hundred dollar belt, but he's been wanting this thing like his whole life. And so he finally uh he saved up tip money and ended up picking it up. But I've always wanted to like hold one to see how it felt. Like if it felt different than, you know, the cheap ones you buy. Right. And it was legit, man. Like it was heavy as hell. Uh, just, I mean, it's a, as good as it gets for the, I mean, obviously you're paying a lot for it, but if you're a, a diehard, you know, it, it is definitely worth it, but it was really cool. He was super excited all night. Uh, I got some selfies with it, so I was, I was happy too, but, <laughs> but man, if you, if you guys, anyone out there is, is a wrestling fan at all and you've not been to a live event, I, I definitely recommend it. The WWE is able, whether you love them or not. They're able to put on an excellent show. That's just so much fun when you're there. Uh, they really know how to get get a crowd going, and uh, it's just such a different experience than watching it on TV. And I love it. We actually ended up buying tickets for SmackDown Live, which comes back here at the end of December. So that should be a lot of fun, also. But yeah, and then last but not least, I uh, created a couple new episodes for the MLB 16, the show. Uh, it's basically a let's play that I've been talking about. Honestly, I'm, I'm not very good at it yet. And, uh, something I definitely need practice on. So I'm not even sure if these are going to see the light of day. I'm kind of, these might just be like a test run and I might start over with something else. But, 
I don't know. We'll see. They're not terrible, but they're not really what I was hoping them for them to be. And so uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I spent a ton of time editing because, you know, you record an entire game. So I have like an hour's worth of footage that I have to edit down into about, you know, eight to 12 minutes. And so that takes a lot of time. But yeah, yeah. So that's what I ended up doing this past week. So it's been it's been real. <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> but all right. So let's talk about our films for today. So we are reviewing first. We're going to talk about Cloverfield. From 2008, and this one is directed by Matt Reeves, written by Drew Goddard, who I love, also writer of Cabin in the Woods, amongst other things. And there are going to be spoilers for Cloverfield, so if you have not seen this film yet, I recommend you pause the podcast, go watch it, and then come back and hit play, and listen to the rest, because there will be spoilers. So Cloverfield currently has an IMDb score of 7.0 out of 294,097 votes. It has a Metacritic score of 64, a tomato meter of 77%, and an audience score of 68%. It had a budget of 25 million with a gross of about 80 million, so clearly it was a success. Which is surprising because we didn't get a sequel to it for what, eight years later, I guess? Yeah, and it it's was a while. Yeah, and it's not even – well, we'll talk about that when we get there. But All right, so Ash, let me start off with this. What is your history with Cloverfield? Obviously, I assume at least you've seen this in, in the past. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we went and saw it in the theater. Uh, my oh, wife, okay. My wife made me go. <laughs> she went <laughs> so, um, and then uh, we ended up renting it again later um, and getting a digital copy of it. So, Awesome. But, uh, yeah, I did not see it in theaters, I don't believe. I'm trying to remember, man. I don't remember. I don't think I did. I think the first time I saw it was on DVD once it was released on home video. And um, I feel like I wasn't the biggest fan of the film when I first saw it. I just wasn't what I expected, if I remember right. But I have seen this movie now. I don't even know. I've seen it a, a good number of times, probably no less than three or four times. And um, frankly, I seem to like it more every time I watch it. So that's my history with uh, with Cloverfield here. So let's let you know. Let's dive in the um, the intro. I really like the intro because it sets up like the whole the the found footage nature of the film which i always like and so what is the entry it's it's like you know this was found in the area formerly known as central park which which gives you a good idea of what you're what you're getting into but mm-hmm. yeah I, I i like that part about it you know, what i think out of the two of us i feel like i'm i enjoy found footage films more than you wouldn't you agree yeah i would say so yeah what would you say is one of the the better found footage films you've seen? I don't know. I do like this one. Mm-hmm. I liked Apollo 18. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Blair Witch was okay. It wasn't great. I like the paranormal, paranormal activity movies. Yeah. But uh, other than that, I, it's... I don't know. They're kind of hit and miss with me. Right. It, it all depends on if it's plausible and if it, if it works. Mm-hmm. If they, as long as they don't use the same gimmick as another movie did to to replicate, you know, oh, we found this footage in the sky, you know, it's <laughs> like it. it ugh. 
Like, right. like Apollo 18 was like footage from inside like the capsules and shit, you know, mm-hmm. so that made sense. Um, right. And like Blair Witch made sense because they were filming it with a camera and everything else. You know, they were actually making a documentary. Mm-hmm. It's the ones that were like, they just, yeah, I don't know anybody who walks around with a video camera on 24 seven. It just, it doesn't, yeah. that the, yeah, when they do that, that just bugs me. Um, have, have you seen Chronicle or The Taking of Deborah Logan? Yes, I do like both of those. Okay, yeah, those are, are two examples. I, and Cloverfield here as well is another great example. Uh, ones that I like to cite as, you know, excellent outings in the found footage genre that, that really do a good job of of justifying the fact that it is a found footage film, you know? Yeah. Justifying the, 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 the person to keep filming. So... Excellent. So yeah, this guy, get my names going here, Rob. This all, all I could think about in the beginning is how rich this guy is. He is has to be loaded. He lives in this huge apartment overlooking Central Park. He has got to be fucking loaded. And at one point, this pissed me off because at one point, I think it was during uh, Lily's testimonial, she was like, well, now that you're vice president, I hope you have enough money that you could, or I hope you're yeah, you have enough money that you can afford to call us. And I'm thinking to myself, um, that doesn't quite work because this motherfucker's rich as hell. <laughs> yeah. Did you catch that at all? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but. Well, I think, too, they were kind of just making fun of him, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's that. Uh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Kind of, yeah, joshing him a little bit there, but yeah. So. I completely forgot that uh, Lizzie Kaplan was in this, and I think she's she's an excellent actress, and uh, she's in um, what Mean Girls. I guess had to be the first thing I've seen her in, but she's also in uh, what's that new TV series, Masters of Sex, or something like that. Um, Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Okay, I haven't either, but I've heard I've heard that she's excellent in it. But the the things I have seen her in, she's always been great, and uh, I thought she did I thought she did a great job as Marlena here, um, HUD annoyed the absolute hell out of me now hud was the basically the cameraman yes he still annoys me oh yeah my God. it's like he's not even hitting on me and i'm annoyed but yeah he's hitting yeah, I, on marlena much he go ahead i'm sorry i don't like him much at all now no i i agree with you um i mean there were a couple parts later on where i ended up laughing but i don't know he's just like he's so Ugh, just just seems like such a frat boy, which I don't know, just annoyed the hell out of me. I just wanted to punch him. But and then when he goes to ask Beth to film her goodbye, oh my god, I was like, dude, leave her alone. Yeah, he's the <laughs> every every time. And honestly, he's probably the biggest biggest detractor for me when I go to rewatch this. It's like, do I really want to sit through him again? But I mean, the oh, okay lot for it but mm-hmm. he just grates on me throughout yeah. most of the movie like the first time i didn't notice it so much mm-hmm. but on repeated viewings it's just like dude you are such an asshole <laughs> but yeah i don't know yeah he i guess it he annoys me but it wasn't it's not to that point i guess you know it, it's just annoying it's not like oh i it doesn't detract that much for me i guess but um speaking of him though one part where i did laugh was when he started going around the party and telling everybody about the fact that Rob and Beth had sex. 
I mean, it's a complete like douchey thing to do, but I don't know why, but I was laughing. I thought it was funny as hell. It just seemed like so appropriate for the character. And, and another yeah. fact that I completely forgot about, I thought coming back into it, I was thinking that Beth and Rob were dating and then they recently broke up. I completely forgot about the fact that they, they weren't dating. In fact, they were just friends who happened to, you know, hook up a few weeks earlier. And so it kind of just it changed the dynamic of the relationship a little bit. Um, I don't know if it makes makes it stronger or weaker, though. The fact that he's willing to kind of, you know, risk his his life and his friends' lives to go after her. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I could. But I will say this, though. Like, I didn't have that, – that thought just came to me now. Like, I didn't have that thought when I was watching it. I wasn't thinking to myself, you know, why? Why is he going after her if it's just someone he, you know, had sex with? But in reality, you know, they, they do make it clear that it's not just someone he had sex with. You know, it's someone that he's been in love with since college is what they say. Yeah. And then they finally just recently hooked up, you know? Yeah. I I don't know. It yeah, the way they the way they set things up, they don't really and you don't necessarily know a lot about their pack their past or anything because it's very That's true. I, they, it's set up for in the moment, you know, it, it's, you know, you're just kind of thrust into it like an event, you know, you're right. witnessing an event as opposed to getting to know these people. So, yeah, so Which, I mean, it works for the context of the film. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what I was going to say. You know, I think that worked, that part worked really well, but, um, I love when I, I love slash hated when, uh, the the three drunken idiots were like standing outside on the um the staircase on like the fire escape and just trying to give Rob life advice about what he should do. It felt like it reminded me so much of like specific instances I had while I was in college. And it just felt like a like a moment where that like I've had in the past, you know what I mean? That's absolutely what it felt like to me. And I thought that was funny. Which I, I isn't a bad thing by any stretch. I think that's uh, you know, kind of what they were going for there, at least, you know, because I feel like these people, these guys are old college buddies, you know, because they they know about who he was in love with since college and things like that. And so I feel like that's kind of the correct um, a- atmosphere for these three characters. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. The um and th- so then so we're sitting there, we're listening to these guys talk and then out of fucking nowhere. We just get this power outage and it was like a, 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 I don't know, it was not an explosion, I wouldn't say, but like a big boom where the power went out. And that, that scared the hell out of me. I thought that was really well done because we have no inclination to this point that something's about to happen. It, it, and they very well could have gone on for another 15 minutes without anything, you know, uh, kind of happening, without anything kick, being kicked off. And I thought they put it in a, in a perfect spot that it, it caught me completely off guard. And then once it starts, we're just, we're rolling, man. It almost never stops. Yeah, definitely there. What did you think of the uh, the special effects in the film? Especially considering that this is from 2008. Um, I think some of them have held up well. Some not as, not as good. Uh, I think a lot of the, a lot of them benefit from uh, the fact that they did it found footage style. So yeah, they're not perfectly framed shots, mm-hmm. um, and, and and they still go for the lighting and stuff like that. It's like some of the monsters look great, and a couple of times it's just like, eh, it's uh, you know, it was decent at the time, but it's kind of 
aging a little bit. So for me, the only part where I was like, ah, the CGI is not quite holding up very well here was when we see the kind of the smaller creatures that are coming off of the giant creature. Yeah. Um, specifically when we see them the first time, I'd say, like when the, they're standing in the the store that the electronic store that's being looted and they look up at the TVs. And that's when you see like the first time those small characters coming up. Um, but other than that, I thought I was I was shocked at how how good everything looked here. Um, like the, the Statue of Liberty had flying in, I thought was just awesome. The explosions I thought looked really good. Um, even when the, the small monsters were attacking them down in the, the subway system, I was surprised how good it looked, especially considering that I thought they looked pretty shitty a couple minutes earlier. Yeah. But, a lot of that has to do with the lighting too, I think. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and another thing I like is the fact that you only you only get small glimpses of the monster um, right at at the start. It's not till later on where you actually get to fully see the the giant the giant monster, which I think is is a good way to go about it. It you know keeps the mystery there. There was there's a couple times though I think the effects were a little too abrupt, and we didn't get a good enough look at a couple of them. I think that didn't help. Okay. Either. Yeah. Um, like when she gets in, the one girl gets infected and explodes. It's like all we oh, see is the yeah. shadow, and it's just like there's like no, no real build up to it. It's like oh well, we got to get her over here. It's like oh okay, and then boom. Yeah, Marlena. Yeah, I, well, like, she was complaining about a headache, but it's just like yeah, but it was just like it. It didn't. I don't know. It just didn't. Uh, the effect didn't jive with what we had seen. Yeah. Honestly, I wasn't even sure what really happened there. Yeah, that was the other thing. It's just like, uh, okay, what what happened? <laughs> right. Like, uh, it, it almost looked like there was like a, another monster in with her with them after they went behind the curtain and then exploded. But I, I guess she kind of her shape changed into a shape of a monster, and as it was exploding, you know, as it was growing to explode. But it was yeah. just, I don't know that that was a. Just unclear, I guess. An unclear moment for me. The Yeah, that was a little unclear, yeah. What was really striking, one moment that was really striking to me amongst a number of them, but one in particular was um, the images when Rob and Jason decide to walk outside of that convenience store that they go in and they find Marlena out there. Marlena, Marlena, however you say it. It was so reminiscent of images that we would have seen after 9-11 which I'm certain they were going for, and I thought they did a really excellent job at it. It just made it hit home for those of us that, you know, that were old enough to have lived through 9-11. Did, that have, did you catch that at all, or, or am I wrong there? Um, I think a little bit, yeah. It was kind of like, I guess, the lighting, it was kind of like an orange glow to the whole thing, and it was foggy, uh, and pe- the way people were walking around it just it for me at least it just harkened back to you know what we saw on yeah. you know September eleventh. Yeah. yeah, I think so, and I think I think that partly was intentional, but I also think, yeah. um, you know, that's with, with it knocking buildings down and stuff. That's you're going to see that, right? Yeah, but absolutely, and I think you know, filmmakers have gotten a lot of information from what they've seen on 9-11 that they can then incorporate into their films. 
to make it as, you know, realistic as possible, as morbid as that may be, whatever the case is, you know. Um, and so I feel like you just get such a more bleak image than what we may have gotten in films, you know, before, before the attack. Um, one part I had a, I had to rewind. I actually had to rewind and I had to turn on the subtitles because I couldn't understand what she was saying, but I thought it was creepy as hell. Um, Marlena, they're getting ready to leave and, and Marlena says something and I thought it was something about eating. And so I rewinded it. I rewound it and she said it was eating people. It was eating everyone. And I thought that was really fucked up because I didn't remember it being uh, so personal. I just remember the the creature destroying buildings and knocking everybody over, like stepping on things, yes, but to actually have that image of him picking up a person and eating them, that was that was crazy to me. Did you catch that moment at all? I no, I never bothered to rewind what okay. she said. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was like writing it down. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I have to rewind because I have to know what she said. But <laughs> um so then we get like images of that overturned what do you call it? The overturned ship? Is it a tanker? Is that the right word? Yeah, I think so. Okay, and then like the headless statue of liberty. Those were such stark images and they're really well placed because it was as they were trying to leave the city. Um, but then obviously that, that tail comes down and knocks the bridge down, which kills the brother. Uh, which I thought, again, the effects were just a lot better than I remembered them being. I thought they were excellent. Yeah, they were pretty good uh, there. That that sequence was pretty good, yes. Mm-hmm. What amazes me is how epic they were able to make this film feel, even though it's a found footage movie. So specifically, like when I wrote that down, it so the group, I guess there's probably four of them at this point, they're just walking down the street. And then all of a sudden we hear this big scream out of nowhere and we see the creature's legs and then a fucking military equipped with tanks and bombs and and guns assault rifles they just show up right from behind them and just start blowing away the the creature trying to blow it away at least i mean that was such a badass moment and again something i it was unexpected they're just walking down the street and and out of nowhere this army shows up behind them i thought that was really cool and just gave the, the the epic feel that i love so much yeah, they definitely managed to get the chaos of the situation down. I think. Yeah. I and I think they kind of focused on that mm-hmm. more than anything else. And right. It's like you know they were when they planned this one out. It feels like a found footage. You know, it feels more like actual found footage mm-hmm. as opposed to some movies where they like. Um, yeah, this is found footage, but you know, it perfectly choreographs this story. It's right. like, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but this one, it, it yeah. definitely feels like, you know, you're catching moments and like, not like they, you know, when they, they, there are a couple points where I think he turns the camera off you mm-hmm. know, and things like that too. So yeah, a few of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, definitely a good point there. Um, one thing I found odd was that the group was alone in the subway. I feel like the subway, if this was really happening, I feel like that would be kind of a, a hot spot for for people to to go because they've been trying they'd be trying to escape the chaos that was going on above ground. You know, maybe. Well, a lot of people might be worried about it collapsing too. Um, no, that's true. Um, that's a good point. Train, I wonder, you know, or subway, you know, cars going through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No. So when they're down in the subway and 
he has to tell his mother that his brother um, had died. I thought it was so simple, but incredibly effective, um, which, you know, it, I mean, it almost brought me to tears the way it was handled. I thought it was just so well done, really well acted. Again, simple, but effective, which I always enjoy. Yeah, I would agree with that. HUD, going back to HUD. Uh-huh. He tries to be the the comedic relief. You know, the character is supposed to be the, the comedic relief of the film. But 99% of the time, it's his jokes, it's like they aren't working in this context, I think is the problem. Like when they're walking through the subway system, um, the jokes he's trying to make, it's just it, – it juxtaposes what's going on, but – which I usually like. But in this instance, they just weren't landing, whatever he was trying to do. Um, but that said, when Marlena, he could, cause he's like, Oh, you know who Superman is? And Marlena's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, Superman too. I'm starting to feel something. Are you aware of Garfield? I thought that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> just because Hutt is just such a douchebag trying to play on the fact that this, this person knows Superman as a, as a way to try to pick her up. I thought that was just so ridiculous, but I thought Marlena was absolutely hilarious in that moment. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, really, HUD is the only one that I don't necessarily like. It's mm-hmm. like the other ones, you can tell there's a lot more going on that we don't get to see. Right. So it's like, you know, it's like I can kind of forgive some of their their annoying traits because it's like, you know, with all the shit going on, plus the monster, you know, but HUD's just, oh, my God. But yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I, I liked her. She was she mm-hmm. was cool. Yeah, she's great. Are there any moments in the film that kind of stand out to you as uh, being or is there a moment in the film that stands out to you as being the most tense or if you want to call it, you know, quote unquote, scary? The Anything subway. that stands out to you. OK, yeah, the, good. When, that's, that's, when they don't have any okay. light at all. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was so well done. Uh, I mean, just a genuinely, you know, just scary scene. It had me on the edge of my seat because I was waiting uh, especially when he was about to turn the night vision on. I, you know, you just know as a horror fan that something's going to be there. Um, mm-hmm. But again, the way it was handled, it was handled so well and it was so tense. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, definitely. Another a point where the uh, effects impressed me kind of in a different way than we've been talking about. The group arrives at the triage and we start seeing more personal injuries. Um, and a lot of soldiers going by. With just like their their bodies basically ripped in half and um, just so many different wounds going on there that I thought was really well done throughout the entire triage. One th- we talked about the fact that the kind of it was kind of a weird scene when Marlena gets dragged away and kind of explodes or whatever happens. Mm-hmm. But and it, it it is, but the way it was filmed, I thought was really well done because the camera is just ex- insanely frantic. And then you have the the shadow play of, I guess it's Marlena, um, and her exploding. And then it, that kind of builds to that crescendo of the explosion. And then the group gets outside where the soldier's talking to him, and it stops. It calms down again. I thought it was just really well filmed. It just went from you know chaotic in an instant to. The explosion to nothingness, you know, kind of just them walking as normal again. Um, so I thought that was just if, you know, aside from the fact that it was kind of unclear exactly what happened with Marlena, I thought that part was, you know, really cool about that scene, at least this, the way it was filmed. Yeah. I know you're not a huge fan of shaky cam, right? 
I think that's you that complained about that in the past. It, it can or was be that... really obnoxious. I yeah. I don't mind it when they shake the camera a little bit, but if it's shaking mm-hmm. to the point where I can't tell from second to second what's happening or moment to moment right. what's happening, it's a, too much. Yeah. Yeah, or the or the audience is vomiting around you. That's that's a sign that they've done too much. <laughs> right. Um, but like um like they did it in like they didn't do it in pitch black. And then like for whatever reason in Chronicles of Riddick, like almost every fight scene, like especially the one on the one planet, they like they go shaky cam all over the place and it's like you can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah, I hate shaky like, cam and fight scenes. Yeah, it's just like, okay, and the rest of the movie isn't shot like that. It's like, you know, it's this mm-hmm. white swooping epic shots, and then they're like, you, you can't choreograph a fight scene, so you have to use shaky cam? What the hell? Yeah, that was a problem when we did our Neil Marshall retrospective when we watched Doomsday. I love yeah. the film, but the fight scenes had shaky cam and just way too many cuts. And I hate yes. that when it comes to a fight and scene. He went Michael Bay with it. it, it yeah. Michael Bay is, except. Michael Bay loves shaky cam, but at the same time, he manages to intersperse enough so you can kind of guess what you get, you know, get the gist of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he loves shaky cam. Like the first two Transformers movies, he use, overuses shaky cam way too much. I actually yeah. loved that uh, the third one was filmed in 3D because he couldn't oh. just he couldn't just shaky cam the shit. He had to actually, <laughs> right. like, you know, plan his shots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly uh, uh, you know you because know, if, if you notice like dark of the moon is actually shot much more it's still a michael bay film you can still tell it's a michael bay film but it's shot more right. traditionally less shaky cam bullshit and you can see what's going on but yeah <laughs> I, I don't necessarily mind it in found footage films it's just like this one it's not terrible because they make sure to steady the camera enough yeah Often enough to, to you, know, you, you get the you get the sense that they're moving and stuff, but at the same time they make sure that the the camera is steady enough to make sure that the audience isn't vomiting everywhere. Right, and I, the reason I bring it up is because I think that that scene I was talking about in particular is a good example of shaky cam done right. Yeah, because that's basically the 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 technique they're using to kind of create that frantic energy there, which I think is really good. My the only time I've really ever complained about. Um, shaky cam i'm gonna forget the name of the movie but it was a one of the like after dark horror fest it was i think it was maybe an after dark original at that point i can't remember the name of it but literally the character was sitting on the bed talking with her mother and the camera was shaking the entire fucking time for for literally no reason that bugged the hell out of me because it wasn't a found footage film. It was a regularly shot film and, and they were just two people sitting on a bed. And to add motion to the scene, instead of having the characters move, they had the camera move. And it's like, why in the hell is this camera moving? There is no point to it. And so that's the only time I have a problem with shaky cam is if there's no point to it. But I didn't have a problem with it at all here. I thought I thought it was done well here. I didn't think there was a moment where it was excessive just for the point of being excessive, you know? Yeah. But, so right after this is when the soldier gives them some intel. Why in the hell is a soldier giving these random civilians who they he's never met before, presumably, we'd have no reason to have met them before, this intel about the fact that they're not, not just that they're going to like uh, condemn or quarantine the city, but they're also going to blow up the island of Manhattan. It's like, why would he tell them that? That bugged me. 
you know, maybe get him a chance. Yeah, like like my wife said, was saying, uh, give him a chance to survive. Yeah, maybe, you know, hey, you know, this is what's going on. You need to get the hell out. Right. They just happened upon a nice soldier, I guess. Yeah, some yeah, some will follow the order, their orders to the end and some are, you know, trying to do the right thing. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's the other point. Yeah. At that point, at that point, they'd lost the city. So, you know, what do you do? That's true. Yeah. I thought Jessica Lucas was absolutely gorgeous in this film. Um, uh, She played Lily. And uh, I knew I recognized her, but I couldn't remember where. And it turns out she's actually from the Evil Dead remake. Did you catch that? Or did you recognize her from that, I guess I should say? I did not. No. Yeah. That's, um, she was the African-American woman. Um, I can't remember his brother's name, but it was the main character's brother's girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. I can't, like, I can't even really place her in Evil Dead. I know she was there because I know I've recognized her from something, but like. I don't remember what character she plays in, in Evil Dead, the remake. But I, either way, she's gorgeous. I think that's the only point I wanted to make there, I guess. But um, I, another another moment where I wanted to punch HUD was when they finally got to Beth's apartment and they were like standing outside. And he's like, is that her place? Oh, my God. That's not her place, is it? Is that her place? He said like a thousand times. I'm like, HUD, yes, it's her fucking place. Shut the hell up, you annoying bastard. <laughs> that was one moment where I was like, "Hud, you are annoying. Stop talking." Um, I was actually surprised, and I didn't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it, I guess, but I was actually surprised that Beth was still at the apartment. For some reason, I didn't remember her being there. I thought like they came across her later on. Um, I know. I remember. I don't know why. You yeah, you I said you did. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I really thought they were wasting their time getting there, but I- I'm glad they weren't because that would have made, you know, vast majority of the movie pretty pointless. So um, that worked. But so what did you think of the specifically the creature design, the giant creature itself, like the main bad guy or whatever? How did you it, like that creature? It was definitely different. Um mm-hmm. I think it was actually scarier when they kind of used elements of it in the Star Trek reboot movie. Because <laughs> oh. it, it. I don't even remember that, and I've seen that one. Uh, the creature that bursts out of the ice that chases Kirk down on the, on the ice planet. Um, okay. Uses a lot of the same design elements as the Cloverfield creature. Just That's on hilarious. a much smaller scale. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's really funny. I, I, weird, I remember uh, them saying that I don't that I don't that they didn't necessarily make it intentional. It just happened oh, that okay. way. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, you know, I I like the creature. You know, I write down I might be in the minority because I've heard a lot of people complain about the creature design over the years. But I mean, it was a giant monster and it was unique. So I I thought it was I thought it was really cool. I didn't have any problem with it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I um, I like that they went completely different with it. They're just like okay. Yeah. Let's try something new, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's give some, you know, give people something that they haven't seen before. Yeah, and I thought they did a great uh, display of the creature's like size and his strength when they show it stepping on and flattening a tank with soldiers in it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just the easiest way to show how big he is and how powerful he is, and they did it just perfectly. I, I was, you know, in shock at its um what it was able to do with the tank. Mm-hmm. And and another special effects moment I thought was really great was uh, the helicopter. That whole sequence 
of, uh, you know, it, one, the camera looking down on the creature, destroying buildings and whatnot, and two, the crash. I thought they did a really good job with the way it was spinning around and, and then finally landing. I thought they did an excellent job with. Yeah. And a lot of the, you, you know, that had to, a lot of it had to have been effects work. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The majority had to have been CGI. No doubt about it. But, um, that, and then, and then the close up of the creature and then it eating HUD. Oh, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. I loved it. I, I loved it for more than just the fact that HUD was dead, which whatever. I don't necessarily, I didn't necessarily want to see HUD die, but, uh, I just thought how they handled it was really good. It was very, again, just personal. And, uh, it's, it was cool to see something so personal on such a large scale film. Yeah. Now, did you have access to any of like the alternate endings at all? Um, I think I'd watched them before, but I don't, I don't anymore. Okay. I, yeah, I watched all of them. I was just disappointed because there wasn't really an, like the only difference in the ending. It all ended the same way. The two of them sitting under the bridge saying, you know, I love you. And then you hear an explosion and the camera drops and that's that. And then it goes and shows kind of another scene of the original footage from the weeks before, like the day after they had sex. Yeah. And the only difference between the alternate endings is what they show at the very end. But it's like you could have picked any one of those three and it wouldn't have had it wouldn't have made it. It doesn't make a difference. Excuse me. It doesn't make a difference on how the film ends. Like it doesn't set up anything differently for another movie. It doesn't change what happened to them. It doesn't change how you feel about the characters, in my opinion. Like it just, I don't understand why they even had alternate endings, frankly. I thought that was really strange, but I mean, well, I, I think that they, said though, go ahead. They were, I think they were trying for like a, um, you know, like an alternate, you know, alternate feel to it, but I don't think they managed to quite get everything that they were looking for. Yeah. That said, I really did like the ending. I, it's it's very bleak, but I mean, that's why I like it. Um, nothing is answered fully, but we're given an, uh, enough information, I'd say, to make a, a good educated guess about what happens to these two characters, yeah. which I think is important. Mm-hmm. So what are you uh, any uh, what are your final thoughts and your star rating on uh, for Cloverfield and anything else you want to add? Um I still like it. Uh mm-hmm. it, I mean some of it's aged better than other parts of it. Um it it reminds me a lot of um Godzilla 1985. I don't know why. Uh like oh, the the, the, the maybe it's the the creatures the small creatures accompanying it. Um that might be it, because uh, like 1985, the Godzilla 1985 movie, there were like radioactive creatures that were running around besides Godzilla that were like much smaller, but they were like upscaled bugs and stuff. Um, oh, OK. But uh, I think that might be part of it. Um, but uh, no, I, I still enjoy it. I still think it's uh, it's uh, a good, you know, monster movie. You know, uh, I give it a I give it a three. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't get much, if anything at all, really about the, about the creatures. You know, what are they? Where are they from? Why are they here? None of that's explained. And, and Reeves, the director, he doesn't even try to tease us with any information hinting at one answer or another, another, uh, 
or another, excuse me. <laughs> but I love that about it. I, I don't need to know the origin. You know, I get enough with the characters who I generally like overall. Um, this is just, I, I love this world. You know, it's a fascinating world to spend time in. And I really wa wish there was a genuine sequel to this made. And at this point, you know, I hadn't seen 10 Cloverfield Lane yet. Um, but I always had heard leading up to it that it wasn't a true sequel to this film. It was kind of the Cloverfield name was kind of just tacked on at the end to garner, you know, public interest. But um, there is something amazing about this because even though it's a found footage film with without tons of cameras and, and different sh shot styles, things like that, it was still incredibly epic. And that's why I love it so much. Cloverfield, it's a rare film that I seem to enjoy more and more each time I watch it. And now having seen it, you know, like I said, maybe four, five times now, I can say that I absolutely love this movie. It, it does both the found footage and the creature feature genres really well. And so I'm giving Cloverfield four out of four stars. Whoa. Yeah. I, I love this movie. I, I just do. I, I, my IMDb rating of it coming in was like an 8 out of 10. So I, I had to change that to a 10 out of 10 on this viewing. Um, I don't know what it is about it. I just, I was hooked from beginning to end. I absolutely loved it. So we go from Cloverfield in 2008. We wait about eight years. And then we get 10 Cloverfield Lane, which came out earlier this year in 2016. So again, there will be spoilers for Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane. So if you've not seen this 10 Cloverfield Lane, I recommend pausing the podcast and coming back to it after you've watched it. So 10 Cloverfield Lane is directed by Dan Trachtenberg, written by Josh Campbell, Matthew Stuckin, and Daniel Chevelle, or Chazelle. It has an IMDb score of 7.3 out of 110,968 votes, a Metacritic score of 76, a tomato meter of 90%, and an audience score of 80%, which has got to be the highest that we've had since before the Saw series. It has a budget of $15 million and it grossed about $71.9 million, so another raving success. So, 10 Cloverfield Lane is essentially three characters, right? You get John Goodman as Howard, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Michelle, and John Gallagher Jr. as Emmett. The only one of these three that I didn't recognize immediately was John Gallagher Jr. Um, have you seen him in anything before this? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Yeah, me either. I didn't go through his entire filmography, but uh, just didn't recognize him at all, so I assumed I haven't seen him. Um, I think he was in Short Term 12, maybe? I could be making that up. But I think that's what they talked about in some of the special features I was watching. But anyway, what is your history with 10 Cloverfield Lane? Is this the first time you've seen this film? Yes. Okay. Me too. So we are both coming in. Uh, we both went in rather to this viewing blind. So that's always a good thing. Um, this is one I really wanted to catch in theaters, but I so rarely make it to the theaters nowadays. It just it wasn't going to happen. Um, but I had to buy it when it came out on Blu-ray because it uh, had a beautiful steelbook from Best Buy. So I bought that. And um, actually, Ash, I uh, gave Ash the digital copy so that we could do this podcast. And so, yeah, immediately, right from the get-go, 10 Cloverfield Lane has a different feel altogether than Cloverfield. And it's not just the fact that we don't have shaky cam, but we get the complete opposite. We have a lot of cameras. We have wide shots, beautiful landscapes. And epic, and most importantly, probably the biggest feature that sets it apart is the epic music that we get right in the beginning. And it's just so noticeably different before even one dialogue, one line of dialogue is spoken, rather. Mm -hmm. um, 
And again, keeping in that Cloverfield fashion, out of absolute nowhere. So Michelle's driving down the road and clearly, you know, we find out through not really through unspoken dialogue, I guess, that Michelle has gotten into a fight with her boyfriend or husband. I think it was her husband because she took off a ring. So it was at least her fiance and um, is is driving somewhere. I don't really – I think she's going to her parents, she says. Um, so she's driving along the road and, you know, takes a call from from the guy, doesn't say a line, doesn't say a word, which I think was interesting because she doesn't actually say a word for quite a while. We don't have our first line of dialogue from her until after she's um, you know, wakes up in the bunker. But all of a sudden she's driving and then a, a car accident happens out of nowhere. And holy shit, that scared the hell out of me. I didn't expect that one at all. No. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I knew that just from like the preview, uh, like that something happened to her to put her down there. But yeah, it was. Yeah. I was expecting more of a lead up to it. But it's just like, right. damn. I know it's it's amazing how quickly we get in there. I mean, we are immediately in the bunker within about uh, what three to five minutes. Yeah, and I was shocked that we were there so fast. I really didn't expect that, but I mean, it works. It works absolutely well. So, one thing I want to talk about during that accident, I loved the way they kind of intersected the opening couple credits in between the car losing control. I thought that was so unique and really cool way to handle it. Did you did you notice that at all? Um, I was like, the, wasn't really paying much attention to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like the car started like spinning out and then all of a sudden there's, it's loud. It's, and then it's silence and you see like the opening credit for like two or three seconds. And then you're like, ah, it's loud. It's loud. She's spinning. Things are going crazy. And then it silence and you see it's still, and we see the second credit and then finally the crash finishes and then we get the rest of the opening credits. But I was like, damn, I, it's just so jarring, which I think is awesome because yeah. it goes along with the theme of the film it's just jarring and, and, and all of a sudden we're in the bunker it's like holy shit here we are yeah now that you mentioned it i i do remember that part yeah. of it but yeah i i liked i kind of like that a little bit mm -hmm. uh just because it keeps you off you know yeah. off expectation exactly yeah and i love that about it what's most amazing to me is that this is dan trachtenberg's first feature-length film which just blows my mind because it is so, in my eyes, just expertly directed. Um, and another point to that would be that in the beginning here, almost all of the shots that we see, excluding a couple of shots where she's driving, they're very intimate. We are very, we're zoomed in a lot on her face and it's really close. Um, whenever she's on screen most of the time and it just gives that feeling of closeness, the, the feeling of claustrophobia very early on. Even before we really know that we're in a bunker, which yeah. is just, I mean, just intelligent filmmaking, impressive filmmaking uh, from uh, from this young director who I'm excited to watch continue his career because I think he did excellent here. But and so then I was, as I was talking about, like, did you notice that she didn't say a line for quite a while? Like she, even when she's trying to figure out what's going on. Where she is after she wakes up from the after the car accident, it, she doesn't say a word. She just like moans and groans. And obviously, this has to be a deliberate choice by the by the filmmaker. Um, and I thought it was really cool. And then her first lines of dialogue are are pleading. You know, she says, "Okay, okay, please, please don't hurt me." Those are her first lines. To um, and they're to uh, what the hell's his name, Howard? Okay, yeah, yeah. I know. I didn't even. Uh... 
I remember her being quiet, but I thought she'd spoken before that. But okay, I guess not. Yeah. Yeah, because I, w- I was specifically looking. I'm, obviously, I could be wrong, but that's, I, you know, I was like, man, she hasn't said a word yet. In the very opening, there is a moment where the music's playing over her and she's on the phone and you can see her lips moving, but you don't actually hear a line of dialogue from her. And so, okay, okay, please, please don't hurt me. It's a very submissive line, which is fascinating to me because the character, the character sees herself, Michelle sees herself as submissive as she talks about in her, when she's talking with Emmett about how Emmett tells that story about how he didn't get on the bus for college. And she tells the story about how she didn't help the little girl. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, that's what I always do. I, I turn and run away. So she sees herself as very submissive. And so the very first thing we see from her is is a submissive line. But the character in reality, what we see is is one of the strongest characters I've seen in a long time. I absolutely love that about her. She's so strong. Minutes into this, she after she meets John Goodman's character, Howard, she comes up with this idea of shaving the crutch into a weapon. And then she's getting tired of waiting for him. So she decides to set a fire. I mean, she's just, she is a smart and incredibly quick individual. And um, that's kind of what her entire arc is about. We can see that she's a, she's a strong character, I think at least. But her arc is her coming to the realization that yes, she is strong. And yes, she can handle herself. And I, I love that about it, this film. Mm-hmm. It's so much a character study. Yeah, and I think they had to do that with uh um with the fact that they didn't have, you know, they only have three characters. Right. Yeah. But I I mean, and that's that's not a bad thing. I love character studies, you know, when they're done as well as something like this is done. Um you know, I just I I want to see more of these characters before kind of the shit hits the fan, you know? I just I like spending time with them because they're interesting as hell. Yeah. Um John Goodman is is one of the best actors out there. I absolutely love John Goodman in, in virtually everything I've ever seen him in. And uh, I think he's just, he's fucking, he's so good here. He's playing this odd ass character and he's, there's something about him just underneath the surface. That's like, you know, there's something roiling up, boiling up. And it's just, you know, something is about to break and uh, he plays it so well and it's just such a scary character to me yeah he from the beginning even when he's trying to be helpful and explain to her you know what's going on mm-hmm. and not not and he's not even pissed at her he's just right his even when he's quiet you can tell there's something not right with him yeah I, yeah, I wrote down at the point you're talking, I was just like, Howard seems like he's lying. Something about him telling the story of how he found her just seems like bullshit. And I want to guess that he drove her off the road, which obviously we find out not shortly after or not long after, rather, that he did, in fact, drive her off or drive her off the road. He says it wasn't on purpose, that he was just he lost control. But, um, you know, that's that's something I was able to guess early on. Um, did you well, what did you think of him? Control, but I don't right. think he did. Especially with yeah. what she finds later. You exactly. Know. Which, I mean, the movie just took me... I just didn't expect it to go the places that it went by any stretch. And 
I think that's why I, I enjoyed it so much because I was just so kind of taken aback by the whole thing. Yeah. And then the way they're I, able I to build them. They, yeah. yeah, they 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 managed to get you involved and it doesn't I don't know, it just it they did a lot of neat things with this. The way, you know, it's like it's like, oh okay, things are moving into a groove and everything, and then John Goodman's character does something weird. And it's like right, yeah. and it's like, okay, maybe they're not getting into a groove. <laughs> right. Exactly. And and the way that the director is able to build mystery, I thought was so well done. Um, and the the first time I noticed that was when he uh, introduces the third introduces Emmett, but it's, this is before we know who Emmett is. Uh, you know, we just hear something crash, and uh, you know Howard walks off, and he's like, "What did you do?" And then that's kind of it, and then it jumps ahead in time, and then we finally meet Emmett. Uh, it's just. It builds mystery so well. Um, when we hear noises coming from above, uh, we don't know what's going on. The characters don't know what's going on. It's just, it lets our imagination, it lets the audience's imagination run as wild as the character's imagination, which I think is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I love that they give little tidbits, like, cause up until like the final act of the film, you don't know if Goodman is telling the truth or if he's nuts, but right. Uh, well, and they give you enough to, to convince you that he could be legitimately telling the truth about what's going on up above. But she, even, even with that, you know, she, she still thinks he's nuts, you know, <laughs> even yeah. when they come, you know, that one woman comes, comes across. So right. see, that's, that's what I was gonna say. Like once that woman appeared, who was like her face had all these boils on it, and then she eventually, you know, dies. Mm-hmm. Once that happened, I had no doubt that Howard was right in the fact that the air was fucked up. Like in my head, as I'm watching, that was kind of a turning point to me because Howard's right. I believe Howard now. And so that was no longer a question to me on for a short amount of time. Because, and I think that's what's so great about the film, is that it's able to turn and it's able to manipulate the audience in a good way that it makes you, it keeps you guessing. So we find out that at least in my eyes, I believed him that some, the air was contaminated. But then, and 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 then um, the Howard we get is a different Howard. He's more relaxed he there's something kind of humorous about him almost charming of a very little bit and the characters are starting to relax so we're starting to relax because this entire film we see it through the point of view of michelle and we don't really get the point of view of any of the other characters for much at all really it's this is really you know michelle's story and and as an audience that's the story that we're following yeah but and, th- and so things are going okay for a couple minutes. You know, we hear the story about uh, – he tells the story about the lock, how he f- used to freeze the lock off and keep his commanding officers locked in for a couple hours. And, um, you know, she has to sew him up, things like that. And everything seems, you know, like it's going well. But then something small happens where you realize that something is still not right with Howard. And I don't – it's just – Oh, I, I, it's just so impressive to me. I'm just so in awe at what it was able to do. 
Yeah, it doesn't feel like because it was only what a five million dollar budget or something like that. Uh fifteen, I think. Was it? 15? Yeah, fifteen. Was it that high? Yep. Okay. According according to my sources, IMDb. Yeah. But even still, it doesn't feel like it. No, definitely not. It, it it doesn't feel like a movie that was made for fifteen million. It feels right. I feel like a feels, lot of it went into the casting. Yeah. It. This one, um, definitely. It reminds me of the thing, to be honest, because like you know, her paranoia, she can't trust anybody, yeah. you know, it, it, that whole thing. Uh, it, it definitely it plays on that. And he's the director's really good about that, especially the way he shot things and, and the yeah. reveals and everything else. So, no, that's a, that's an excellent reference that I hadn't really caught when I was watching. But you're absolutely right, because, I mean, the thing is one of the one of the greatest horror sci fi whatever films frankly in my book that i've you know ever made and the way that carpenter is able to keep us as an audience member as much in the dark as the character that we follow you know great mccready is amazing and, and you're absolutely right that is absolutely what they're able to do here we are just we don't know we're in the same position as the character and not knowing what's real what's 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 a lie um, and so, yeah, that's, that's a perfect example. Yeah. And then when Megan kept talking, oh, that, that dinner, I, I feel like I'm jumping around here cause I'm, I'm trying to go through my notes, but, um, Megan is, is introduced. Howard keeps bringing up Megan, who we find out is his daughter. Um, and just after the fir- very first mention, I was intrigued about that the entire time. And, um, I guess the character of Megan, we find out, was simply his daughter that him and his wife, you know, got a divorce and she moved to Chicago and that's that. But it's the fact that he shows this picture of Megan, quote unquote Megan, which we find out later is is a little uh, lie, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, The next scene is that dinner scene. And it was just a dinner scene. But my God, it was tense as hell. Yeah. I just you could feel something was was about to happen, you know? Uh he it's just the ticking time bomb thing again. Like I I legitimately wanted Emmett to stop talking because I could tell that it was upsetting Howard and I didn't know what was going to happen. And so I was just I was physically uncomfortable watching it, which is so awesome. I love that. And um then Michelle gets him all riled up on purpose and is able to get the keys. I mean, she is just such a ballsy person such a ballsy character so brave like i would have never done that in that situation but yet she's you know stronger person than i am and and uh you know it just is a really cool scene but that's obviously when we get the the woman coming to the door but yeah man i was just wow (laughs) um i was shocked to see that woman come to the door and finding out the you know the truth about the outside that the air was contaminated, which turns out to to actually be the legitimate truth. The air is contaminated, um, in a different way than I anticipated. But we'll talk about that when we get to the end, that third act. Um, and that's another thing that, as I was talking about earlier, the fact that after we find out that that is true. You know, we kind of start trusting, at least me, I started trusting Howard more, just as the character did. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, something happened. But Howard, right. you know, you can't really, it's like Howard knows something happened, but Howard's talking about aliens and invasions and all sorts of shit. And you're thinking, you know, it's just a chemical attack 
or mm-hmm. you know or a plague or something like that this isn't you know it, it's right. not aliens <laughs> but but it, it turns out it absolutely is aliens <laughs> i i, I kind of had the same reaction she did too <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah we'll talk about that in a couple minutes but yeah um oh so uh, as i was mentioning you know we're, we're starting to tr- i feel like they're starting to trust howard more and another reason for that is because he admits that you know he wrecked the car um and at that point because i found out about the outside i just i saw him in such a different light and so he tells the truth about the car he turns out he's right about what's going on outside um he tells this kind of humorous story that I, I laughed out loud about, um, about when he was in the uh, Navy. Uh, it's just, it's a different Howard. He, he even talks about his daughter more. I mean, that's when we see the picture, which we would have no, no reason to suspect was not the truth at that point. And so it's just such a different feeling for the film at that point, which I think is really cool. So, after that, we start hearing about, um, like, they start talking about regret. You know, what did you regret about your life before, beforehand, you know? And um, that's when we really feel that character study come into play. We get the, the story of, um, he talks, first he talks about tattoos at the dinner table. But we obviously find out that his, his regret goes much deeper than that. Because, you know, he could have been a college kid and... Uh, whatever the whatever that would have led him to, but instead he got scared, and um, I mean that's when it really clicked to me that yes, this is a character study, and I, I loved that story, um, and I loved even more the story that it brings out of Michelle. You know, she says, "I did what I always do when things get hard. I just panicked and ran," which is not the character we've seen up to that point at all, and she even gets stronger as the film goes on. Yeah, I I think. Um, if she sees herself very differently than we do. Right. Um, which I think is interesting, but, but, you know, by the end of the movie, she's definitely seeing herself differently. Exactly. She, her, she, uh, what am I trying to say? How she sees herself is kind of the arc that is her character. How, you know, uh, what she feels she's capable of. And then at the end, obviously she makes the turn to go to Houston to help as opposed to going to Baton Rouge to be saved or whatever the case may be. And so I think that's the arc that her character takes. And, and that's what I love about him. At one point they watched that VHS and the title of the film was cannibal airlines. I have not, I forgot to look it up yesterday, but I have to know if that's a real movie. And if it is, I've got to watch it. That sounds fucking amazing. Cannibal <laughs> airlines. My God, I have to see that. So I'm going to have to look, look that up after this is done. I don't know that it was that good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. But yeah. And then that moment when they hear something going on outside. I mean, that was a genuinely eerie moment because the audience, we don't know what's going on. They don't show us the care. And, and so we're in the exact same boat as the audience. But then howard gives this explanation about oh it's probably the aliens trying to you know take out the last forms of life blah 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 which you think is just ridiculous but it turns out the motherfucker was right which just blows my mind (laughs) so a couple minutes later the 
what was it? The air purifier or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, the uh, yeah. the air. Well, yeah, it, it basically it uh, keeps air moving down there. Yeah, right. It goes out, and so um, there's only one person that can fit, and so uh, they send Michelle in to try to fix it. And he says, "And neither of us will be able to help you if you get stuck." Then he turns and looks at her and says, "Don't get stuck." I thought that was hilarious. I thought that was a really cool moment, but. This is kind of where the movie takes another turn. We find out not only that Howard may have been lying about about the bad air outside, but he may also be a murderer, a child murderer at that. And that just adds a whole nother completely unexpected, to me at least, layer to the film that I absolutely loved. And then... The fucking scene right afterwards where he says, problem solving always puts me in a musical mood. And then he starts dancing to the music. The the song choice that he made and that the director makes, it was perfectly opposite the mood that the characters were feeling at that point. And I absolutely fucking loved it. Remind me which one, that, which song that was again. Honestly, I have no idea what the song was. Uh, I, I don't even, I can't even tell you any of the lyrics at this point. But it was like, it was upbeat. It was kind of old school, like not Motown, but I, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just so like happy, you know, okay, it was yeah. dancey. And, uh, <laughs> and it's right after we find out that Howard's probably a murderer. And I mean, that just blew my mind. It's just so perfect. Speaking of blown minds. Yeah. <laughs> um, when uh, when he pulls out that ass, that tub of acid oh my god that that scene and, and leading up to you know him explaining what it oh. is what it does seems so innocent oh. you know like maybe see maybe yeah. he's just warning them you know hey mm-hmm. be careful around this shit right and no <laughs> i mean it, it's a scene that I, I don't think I'll forget anytime soon. Yeah. It it blew me the fuck away. I mean, it was absolutely shocking. Uh, you know, I accept your apology. And then he just blows his brains out out of nowhere. I mean, oh my God, it's just... And then the, the, the sound design right then? So, again, we're we're seeing this from Michelle's perspective. And so, she hears this loud gun go off... And so, you know, presumably her ears are ringing as Howard comes up to her and tries to console her about it, you know, and he's just, you know, it's just me and you now, blah, blah, blah. And all we hear is is very little because the way they did it is as if our ears are ringing for the audience as well as for Michelle. Yeah. It's, I mean, God damn, that's brilliant. That's such good filmmaking. It's just, oh, God. Absolutely love that. Um, Oh, man. Yeah, that acid, it just reminded me so much of, like, the things I know about, like, serial killers, you know? Um, specifically, um, Jeffrey Dahmer, because that's basically what he used for his victims. He had tubs of acid in his house, in his apartment, that he would use to, you know, dissolve his victims. And all I could think about was, this is where, I, the char- the girl wasn't Megan, because Megan was his daughter, but who, who he showed as Megan, I don't remember the, the girl's real name. 
but the one who went missing, that's that's where she is. You know, that's where her remains are or in that asset. It has to be. Mm-hmm. So not only was I just shocked by the fact that Emmett was killed and so suddenly, I mean, I was genuinely sad because I liked Emmett. Emmett was an awesome character. And once you got to know him and and you you see there's something deeper there. I mean, seeing him go was just sad as hell. I didn't want him to die, and I didn't expect him to die. Yeah, I was not. Well, I was. I was figuring that Goodman and the other dude would probably end up dead at some point, but I was mm-hmm. not expecting where it happened at all. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just. Ugh. And then there's that scene right before that where he's like, they're playing. I don't know what the game is, but it's like they describe something, and he. You have to guess the word that's on the card. Oh, my God. Yes. And, oh, and he's they, like, I see, I see everything, you know, and just going on and on. And, and Emmett's freaking out. And, and Michelle tries to break the, the tension by saying, you're Santa Claus. And then he gets mad. And he's like, yes, I am. But I'm keeping that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah. And then before that, he can't say that she's a woman. He, uh, Howard is unable to say the word that to say that Michelle is a woman. He can only say that she's a girl, and then she said that he's she's a princess. And it's like, man, that is so revealing of of the character of Howard. And again, in such a simple way, it's just, man, there's just so much going on here. I fucking love it. So, oh, and then and then right after Emmett dies, she pulls the bus pass out of Emmett's wallet. <laughs> Oh, I'm not man enough to admit that I was almost in tears there as well. Uh, that was, oh man, it's just so sad. The poor bastard, like, man, just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I did like that she, uh, I did like that she kept something. Yeah, me too. From him. Right. He, you know, we, we get to see that he actually meant something to her. Yep, Exactly. Could you, if you were guessing, how long would you think they were underground together? Anywhere from two weeks to like a couple months, I think. That would be my guess. Yeah. Like the only way I could tell was, or I couldn't even tell, but if I was trying to tell, if I was smarter, the scar from the bottle that she hit him with. Oh, it was not entirely gone, but it was a lot smaller and almost gone. By the by, this moment in the film, and so I don't. I have no idea how long a scar like that would take to heal, but you know, if a a listener out there is, yeah, okay, there you go. So I mean, that's that's a long time to be locked up with just two other people with nothing else. You know, I mean, that's must seem like a year to them, and so yeah, it's just so interesting to me. Um, and then we kind of get. It's not really the third act, but it basically is the third act rolling. Um, everything escalates really quickly from here on out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I didn't expect her to get found out so quickly, I guess, for her to be busted so fast with the suit after Emmett was killed, you know? Um, but it was minutes later, or well, probably maybe an hour, hour or two later, where he comes in and uh, finds the suit. And then the chase scene happens. And and what amazed me is that I didn't realize it until it was about halfway through. But I'm like, holy shit, like I'm watching a chase scene in a fucking bunker. And somehow <laughs> it still managed to make it tense as hell. I mean, that's really well done. Yeah. They did they the, the, did a really good job with that. And um 
they got really clever with how she stops him too. You know, she she's yes. smart as hell with a lot of this stuff. Like I wouldn't have thought yeah, to do absolutely. half the things she did, you know, just to get out. Right. It was just like, oh wow. Yeah. And I love that she uses the story that he told her about freezing the locks to get out of the bunker. Yep. I, that's awesome. Like how perfect. Everything has a purpose, you know? That that everything that the, the rector has introduced has a purpose. Once she's outside, there was a, a camera view from inside her mask that I thought was just really awesome. Like such a cool view. I don't know how the hell they did that, frankly. It must have been like a really small camera that they got in there. Um, but I thought that was awesome just so we could see it from her, from basically her point of view, essentially. Um, and you kind of see it when she's freaking out about the duct tape or about trying to get the freaking out about the fact that her suit is ripped. And so she's trying to get the duct tape off. Uh, I just, I love those shots. Yeah. Yeah. The, that whole, as soon as she realizes it's ripped and she just frantically just, uh, that was brilliant. Yeah. And, Cause it just, you, I, that put me on edge. It's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. And and then I feel like she makes the realization at the same time we make the realization as the audience. And her reaction was perfect. She stands on top of the hood and looks out and sees a fucking alien spaceship. And her reaction is simply, come on. Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> She's damned if she does, damned if she doesn't at this point. Like, my God, this poor woman. What a situation. And and just her her pitch perfect reaction there, the come on, her face. I mean, uh what's her name? Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Her, her like her face told such an incredible story. And it wasn't her, you know, overacting. It was just all internal. You could see everything right behind her eyes. And I thought that was just so great. Um, honestly, I w- was not a big fan of Winstead, um, up until I've seen this movie yesterday. Uh, I've seen her only, only thing I think I've seen her in is, um, the, the thing remake. Oh, that's where I know her from. Yeah. Oh, and, okay. uh, she was fine in that, but she didn't really stand out to me and I just didn't like the film. And so I think that was not a problem, but man, I was impressed here. And, uh, you know, she's definitely someone that I will take a second look at. Uh, because she really stood out here. It's just such an incredible actress. So, but yeah, I um, one of the things, um, and I, I, I paid more attention to it through the other Alien movies after um, they talked about it in the Alien um, behind the scenes, the 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 commentary. Oh, um, okay. Ridley Scott actually got a lot of pushback for casting Sigourney because every other person that they cast was like a character actor. And and Sigourney was, she does a lot more of her acting internally. It's through her Mm -hmm. face expressions and stuff like that. It's not over the top. Mm -hmm. And they were getting a lot of pushback for it on set, you know, because she's like, you know, she's not fitting in. This this isn't working. And then they saw the dailies and they're like, oh, okay, never mind. It's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) She reminds me a lot of Sigourney Weaver and Alien in this. Oh, you're absolutely right. All of her acting is you can just see it through her facial expressions. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely perfect. Right. No, you're you're, that's another great reference there. Definitely right. Man. And then so she's she's basically being taken by this alien. And then she comes up with this Molotov cocktail again out of nowhere. I mean, God bless this woman. She's brilliant. (laughs) And I believed everything about it. Like there was not it wasn't like. 
an easy conclusion, you know. She thought about it, saw the materials, had the idea, and then executed, which she did with everything that she came up with. And so, like, it wasn't just a character coming to ridiculous conclusions, you know, unlike Saw 5. It was, uh, you know, (laughs) it was just genuine, and I loved it. There is another shot. So right after that, there's a shot where she's pulling out of the kind of the driveway of the farm or whatever it is. And the camera is obviously on a car itself and it's moving forward. And we see her spin out into the street and then follow her. God, what a cool shot. I just absolutely love that shot. I thought the director made some awesome decisions with the cinematography of the film. And that was just another example of when. So that last, and another moment, that last shot of her driving toward Houston, which again, the whole arc comes to, you know, its conclusion when she decides to make that left turn to go to Houston instead of going to Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. It's just such a clear character change for her. At least she believes it is. We see her as incredibly strong the whole time, but it's just such a perfect way to end her arc. And then her driving toward Houston and the lightning strikes. And only when the lightning strikes can we see the alien spaceship sitting overhead. I mean, God damn it. That's good (laughs) filmmaking. (laughs) Like, I love that. Oh. So what what are your final thoughts here on uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, and anything else you want to add in and your star rating? Um, I really like this one. Uh, I liked that they managed to make it so tense and a character study and like a horror film and a sci-fi film all at right. the same time. Um, yeah. like you said, there there's just there's so many great like filmmaking moments. Uh, with it and she's so good in this um even john goodman because goodman goodman is so understated Mm -hmm. even when you can tell you know when he's even when he's being over when he goes over the top he goes over the top but like he he's very understated and he almost seems quiet and you almost want to believe he's okay you know type of thing (laughs) uh but um no i i loved it um I'm going to give it a three and a half out of four. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I loved 10 Cloverfield Lane. Now I can see some of the complaints about it not being a true sequel to Cloverfield, but I also believe with no problem that this film is set in the same universe as Cloverfield, just in a different part of the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michelle, an incredibly strong character that I absolutely love. She stole the show here here for me which is hard to do because i mean both john goodman and john gallagher were excellent in this film um where cloverfield focuses in more on the large-scale destruction and survival 10 cloverfield lane keeps the majority of the film in one small bunker focusing in on uh, a human monster as well as the aliens once we get to the final act and i love that about it it, it gives us a creepy, almost like serial killer vibe to deal with in the beginning and then ends on this larger scaled alien survival note. You know, I love both genres and I thought that they mixed really, really well here. Um, Michelle is just in such a shitty spot. Does she stay and live with this creepy ass murderer or does she test the air and, and likely die outside? I mean, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And a weaker character would not have been nearly as fun to watch as Michelle is. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane is excellent. No doubt about it. It may not have been the sequel everyone was hoping for, but I really feel like it sets up a whole nother layer to the Cloverfield universe that can easily be built on for future films in this Cloverfield franchise, which I hope we see more. So like Cloverfield, 
I'm giving 10 Cloverfield Lane 10 uh, – what? <laughs> I'm giving <laughs> it – 10 out of 4 stars? Four, <laughs> I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. I am giving it 4 out of 4 stars. So this was an excellent double feature in my book. <laughs> I gave them both 4 stars. I love these movies. I cannot wait to watch 10 Cloverfield Lane another 100 times because it's awesome. All right. So that is that for episode 57. So remember – Check out Cinefessions.com for more. You can catch all of our past episodes there. And if you're liking what you're hearing, make sure you leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, something else entirely, whatever it is, leave us a review because that helps us get more listeners and we really appreciate the feedback. Next week, we start another two-episode arc. So we're doing Stranger Things, episode one to four next week, and Mark will be back for those uh, those two next two episodes and then the following episode will be stranger things episodes five through eight make sure you're watching those episodes along with us because there will be spoilers as there always is and uh, you can watch that series on netflix starting on july 15th which should be the day this podcast comes out so you should be able to listen to it now so or be able to watch it now and then after the Stranger Things podcast arc, that two-episode arc, we are moving on to another arc. It's going to be a longer arc, but we're not going to reveal what that one is quite yet. We want to make sure that everything is set in stone and that we're good to go. So, Ash, thanks for joining me tonight. I hope you had some fun. Definitely. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> All right. So I want to thank you guys for, again, letting us take some time out of your day to listen to us jabber on about whatever the hell it is that we're talking about here today. So. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.